It is QBIQ. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Great one again today. We've got Malcolm Bell, man. He is the engineer and founder of undefeated quarterback training in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Dude has got a ton of accolades from the media attention in the Virginia area, working with a lot of quarterbacks. I think he said over 100 uh, from who know middle school to high school to college players and more played division one football turned professional and now is coaching high school and training quarterbacks great conversation with malcolm we actually did an instagram live which got a ton of traction if you weren't able to watch it check out some of the clips that we put on our social channels and listen to this full episode so you can hear about malcolm's story and journey so far guys again appreciate all of the support all of the players the coaches the parents that are listening to the podcast really did not expect to see the growth that we're seeing as fast as it's as we're seeing it so really really appreciate all of your support continue to listen if you're listening now go drop a rate and review helps us a ton five stars that would be awesome But again, appreciate all of the support. Stay tuned on all of our social channels. It is Thanksgiving week. So if you're listening to this now, it is Monday of Thanksgiving week. Everybody, go enjoy the holiday. Enjoy your family. Think about what you're thankful for. And continue to support the podcast. And here we go with the Malcolm Bell episode. school to college uh and I tell this story a lot I didn't have a, a trainer here um so I was kind of just doing everything off of raw talent um and obviously that hurt my recruiting a lot um being five ten and a half get uh on my senior year and not having a quarterback trainer I wasn't as polished as the other quarterbacks were in the nation um but my raw talent took me a long way so um you know, I only had two Division One offers, one to the University of Delaware and one to uh, North Carolina Central, and that's where I ended up. But, um, no, the transition was fine, I guess. Um, just not knowing the little things that I needed to know going into college football set me back, but luckily I was able to redshirt. Um, and then after that, I started learning a lot more about football. My coach was very, very knowledgeable about the game and and uh, my first coaching staff there, our offensive coordinator, was running the West Coast system. So a lot of checks, a lot of protections, things like that, which got me in tune to real football really, really quick. So um, my my transition was fine. Um, it was tough in the beginning, though. Yeah. You said the the West Coast offense was at, at North Carolina Central or in high school? At North Carolina Central when I got there. Okay. So what did you guys run in high school? Uh, we ran the Tony Franklin system. Okay. Uh, we we didn't we had small offensive linemen. Uh, we played in a in a huge division, but we had small offensive linemen. Uh, we had dynamic skill players. So Tony Franklin would always say, "I mean, if you got that, then you should be able to run the offense." So we threw probably like eighty percent of the time. Right. No doubt. So it's it wasn't as crazy of a transition from you, like if you ran 
the triple option and then right. go into the West Coast or something like no, that. So no, at no. least you were familiar no. with throwing the ball. Yeah, correct. So you had offer from Delaware and from North Carolina Central. What was what made you cho- choose Central? Um, it was weird. I went on a visit, and and this was kind of before I had a visit set up to go to Delaware, maybe a week and a half or two weeks after the uh, Central visit, and I went during their homecoming, which was a mistake because uh, I just felt the love. Uh, it was just a place where I wanted to go. And the team had got crushed at that point, and they were just making that. They were like in year two of the transition to Division One. So I know, um, you know, Delaware had already won a national championship at that point. Uh, they were already kings of FCS football at that point. And, you know, I felt like I wanted to leave my mark at Central. Like I wanted to, um, you know, leave a legacy that that they've never had there in Division One. So um, I kind of stuck with it. I stayed with it. Um, and a lot of people around were like, why in the world are you going to Central? Uh you know, and not going to Delaware, but it was just a decision that I, I wanted to make, and I felt very, very comfortable with making that uh, that that decision. Right. So, and North Carolina Central is a little closer to you than Delaware, or about the same? Uh, it's closer. So Durham is about two hours, I think. Uh, University of Delaware is maybe like five, I want to say. Right. So the first thing that you said was that you didn't have a QB trainer or really any trainer in high school, and that sets you back. So what – and now, obviously, you're training. You're one of the best out there in, in not just Virginia, but uh, across the country. What's the – what in what phases, what areas of the game did that set you back in not having one when you were in high school? Um, It, it was really simple things. So I was, all, I was always a natural passer of football. And that's probably why I received division offers, division one offers as a five ten quarterback. Um, but it was just little things. I mean, I would go to camps and they'd be like, you know, you're not sound on your drop. You're not sound on the five step. You're not sound on the seven step. Um, you know, you're kind of lacking in the play action. Um, just little things like that. Or when I missed, you know, I was, I was pretty much on target, but when I missed throws, they were bad. And then it's just me not getting my, my, my foot to where it needs to be at and things like that. And like, like, now, like, bad, you know, like bad mechanically. Yes. Right. Okay. So my upper half was fine. My lower half was terrible. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, yeah, and that's kind of, that's, that, that's what the problem was. Uh, I got you. Well, Hey, that's, that's a great segue before <laughs> we'll get back to your story, but your lower half was terrible. As you say, that's a great segue to right now. That video of Dak <laughs> and that video of Garoppolo is going everywhere. We right. put it on our social. You put it on your social. So give me the compare and contrast from you say your lower was terrible. And and what is going on in the video with Dak? Um, pretty much just separating your body top and, and bottom. Uh, just some hip disassociation. Um, just getting the hips fired and hips in tune. Uh, and they do it in pregame just to make sure they're they're putting those things through, uh, just making sure everything is loose. And I make my quarterback do it um, pregame as well. So, um, you know, it's just something that everyone can't do. Uh, I would not recommend like little kids doing it because it just takes too much. Um, it, it it takes too much coordination. One, you have to do it a lot. It requires a lot of practice, but um, it's a great tool 
to get kids to understand or any quarterback that hasn't done it to understand that the lower half gives gives off so much power. And if you don't have that, then you're not going to get as much as you want on that throw. So, um, yeah, when I saw that. Yeah, that's, and, where, that's where all the energy comes from. Exactly. That's literally where all the energy is sourced from the ground. Exactly. It's not just the, the clearing of the left, but driving the – if you're if you're a right-handed exactly. quarterback, yep. driving that right towards the target. Right. And so like we talk about the same – it's like you might use different language, but like staking that right foot, mm-hmm. taking the ball right. of that right foot in the ground, exactly. like drilled in there and driving – that right hip. It's like a baseball swing. Yes. Right? You mentioned that, I think, in, yeah. in your post. And that's the biggest thing is sourcing that energy from the ground up. You see so many guys now with this, if you're a right-handed quarterback, this big leg kick, right? This big yeah. right-legged kick, like they're a baseball pitcher. Yeah. Um, and we got to remember, those dudes are on like a three-foot hill. <laughs> exactly. Right? We're, that's not what we get. Right. So, um yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point that it's not necessarily for young kids. It's definitely a move that needs to be taught. Yes. Don't just go out there and say, oh, Dak Prescott did it, so I'm going to go out there. Exactly. Right. You're messing around and hurt yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's too aggressive of a move to, to just, just go out on the field and do it on your own. It's either you're not going to do it right and you're not going to get anything from it, or you're going to end up hurt or trying to – what is going on with my hip right now? Why is it locking up or something like that? Because, you know, you don't want to go out to the field and just start doing that. Like, you need to warm up first. Then you need to go into that. I don't recommend somebody just going out in pregame and just just knocking, uh, just knocking it out. I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Yeah. Now, if, when you use that in, uh, in, in the trainings that you do, do you, get, do you guys ever use bands? Like, will you ever use resistance bands with that? Or how yeah, would you get so, on that? So basically, at times, um, we would have resistance bands sometimes, and that's in our different phases of training. So I take away resistance bands probably in the month of April. So January through March, I will probably have resistance bands, med balls, all those things, just to, just to increase power just a little bit. But um, we would set up cones, and I would have – Kind of like if you are doing a, a drill of like line straddling or you're just going across lines, we would have our, our left foot, our strike foot pointed to the target and we will start developing that L. We'll get our rotation, get to the L, and then we will start firing through each time through our hip. So we would do it three times and I kind of let them, I kind of let them flow through it a bit. And then we start throwing or I will put them on the line. We'll start on the sideline and I'll let them flow through their, their pre-pass posture, uh, acceleration, deceleration phase. And then we'll go through it in a full motion. Um, and, and that's how we, that's how we do it. It's hard to explain right now. No, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. No, that's awesome. And I think that's, that's important of having clearly, I mean, you're good at what you're doing and having the process, right. I have having like, the standard operating procedure of right. this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to coach it. But then also for the guys that you're training, okay, they, they know what to expect. It's exactly. not like you're – after you teach them, it's not like you're just throwing random drills. Right, exactly. It, it has to – things like that have to stay consistent. Like, you know, if you're doing uh, an, uh, an evasion drill or something like that, like, yes, you can switch that up. But something as simple as just – driving that back hip through 
that has to remain the same. They have to understand what that is and how it needs to be done and how serious it is. So that's what I kind of pitch. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Okay, so tying that back to you said you had terrible lower half in high school. So what? how was it different than what we're talking about and that what the video of Dak and, and Garoppolo and all that shows? Well, one, um, I definitely I never knew what a strike foot was, right? So mm-hmm. I never stepped to my target. I never created straight line throws with anything. I relied on my upper body, and I always knew get your shoulder on a target. That's something that your coach would always tell you. My coach was pretty good. He knew his stuff. He knew his offense. But he didn't know the the little nuances of, of being a efficient quarterback. So I would be stuck moving my upper body, twisting it to the target, but having my body lined up straight forward. So I wasn't tying my feet with my eyes. Nothing was nothing was aligned to anything. And that's what got me in trouble a lot. So it started with just not even knowing anything about stepping to the target or opening up to the target and, and coming through with your back half. Like none of it. Mm. Um uh, like I said, upper body. So were, you always, throw, were you throwing a lot of arm? You were just yes, using that arm. Exactly. That you had. Right. And I mean, imagine, I mean, 5'10", 160 pounds just with all. And I used to try to figure out, like, why in the world can I not throw it 60 yards? And when I got to college, I, I started, you know, I started doing different drills and it started helping me out, helping me out a little bit. But yeah, my lower half was shot. I mean, and that just was with everything, anything that, you know, I was agile. I could move around in the pocket. I could be an athlete, but everything else, it just wasn't, it wasn't tying together for me. Right. So, right. So you had enough talent, you had enough God-given skill, talent that, that it got you the opportunity to play at the next level. How long of a transition was it for you to start to, you know, whether it was the drills or the coaching or just self-awareness on your own? Mm-hmm. Was it like a year process to really get into a nice groove and throwing motion or a couple mm-hmm. year process? What was, it, what was that like? Um, so it took me my entire redshirt year. Um, and not, I got better as a quarterback from a, a skill set standpoint, but the mental as well, the mental mm-hmm. got to me because I wasn't being taught all the things that I'm teaching my guys now. Um, and so it was just a mental just breakdown with trying to figure out if I'm even good enough to play at this level because of, you know, my feet and and not being able to throw the ball like the seniors were on the, on the right. team. Yeah. But, um, it, it took me about, I would say two years. So into my redshirt sophomore years, when I started picking up things and started understanding and, um, you know, we ran the running. So we had a new coaching staff. We started running the run and shoot, um, which was a lot of RPOs, uh, the game was kind of ran through the quarterback at that point. And it, sure. it gave me a lot of confidence. And and I was able to process a lot of things pre-snap. So I became a better passer because I knew what I wanted to do before I even took a snap. And that's where the confidence comes Say in. Like, Say it louder. Yeah, I, I knew what I wanted to do prior to even, you know, getting the ball. So it made me a better passer. So I wasn't choking my motor on some throws, just thinking about it too much. Like I was able to go out and play freely and do what I had to do because I knew 
what I was going to see or what was going to happen. And that took me to another level. No doubt. Yeah. Now, was that a part of that process of you learning pre-snap and how to process what you're looking at, what the defense's responsibilities are? Is that something that your coaches were teaching and ingraining, or is that something that you were like, okay, this is probably really important. Mm-hmm. I need to learn this, or is it both? Well, so my previous offensive coordinator, I'll go back. Okay. He actually taught me everything I needed to know or tried to, and I didn't really want to listen at that point. But then it started making sense to me. Um, so I would know every coverage. I knew all fronts. I knew and really, that is how I'm teaching this stuff now because of what he did for me as a redshirt and as a true freshman or as a freshman. So um, fast forward to my other coaching staff. Um, they really just gave me the system to be able to pick and choose what I wanted to do based off of looks. But then it was up to me to watch film and understand, all right, I see this look, but I also need to know what this coverage is. So I get into the best situation because the ball's in my court. Like I have total mm-hmm. control of what's going on. And, um, you know, it's, it's nowadays a lot of people are like, all right, so if it's a two high roof, you do this. If it's a one high roof, you do this. But no matter what, if it's a two high, it still could be you, they can roll to something. It could be cover six. It could be, you know, two different coverages on either side. And so that's what drove me to learn more going into my junior year because I was just listening to what the offense told me. And I was okay, but then I started putting in what I learned as a freshman and all the coverages and things like that. And then that, again, took me to another level that I really never thought I'd get to. No doubt. Yeah, so I I love everything that you just said because it reminded me of – uh, a few weeks ago, we did a podcast with the offensive coordinator at um, Concordia, Chicago. Okay. Univer- University of Concordia, Chicago. I don't know what order those names go in, <laughs> but he's a college OC. And literally, he talked about – he uses QBIQ, which we'll get into in a second. But is he used to teach right concept and offense and scheme first and then mm-hmm. talked about defenses and what their responsibilities are and what coverages look like and now it is totally flipped for him the first thing that he teaches to his quarterbacks are what does the defense do Mm -hmm. what is their responsibility when his body looks like this what's his job right teach exactly what the defense is doing and then all the scheme and the stuff becomes way easier so that's cool to hear that you you learned that in through your your beginning college process, but now it's really it's really the the foundation of, of how you're teaching your guys. Correct. Yeah, I don't want to leave any of my quarterbacks out to dry. I feel For like sure. if you if you start teaching concepts and different offenses and protections and all of that stuff without giving them like basics, then you're hurting them because they're going to get in a situation one day where oh, this is not that offense oh well the defensive looks never change like that stuff is there I mean until you get to the NFL where they start doing other things right you're playing from middle school to high school to college everything is pretty much the same right with little tweaks here and there but everything's the same the name is the same yeah absolutely and it's dude it's crazy like we watch football now after playing and and playing for a long time and coaching (laughs) for a long time at high levels 
we watch the game now and I'm like, holy Toledo, man. Yeah. If I if I knew that <laughs> ten years ago, yeah, like who, who knows what who knows what would happen. But um it is. It's like football's made for dummies. Right? Like it's like yeah. it's not very hard. You have to put the beginning work in to know it yes. and to study it and to learn it. But then it's pretty simple. I literally tell all of my quarterbacks that, like, guys, anybody can play football. Like, it's it's not for geniuses. Like, so if you go out and roll out and, and you want to play football, like, it's a lot of people that it's – a, it's a lot of quarterbacks that don't know a lot of stuff. Like, it's quarterbacks out here that don't know every coverage. Right. So if you do the extra, just imagine where you could get to. You just never know. Right. Right. No doubt. And so tying into the mental part and uh, you've been teach you've been teaching and training your guys a lot from what you've learned through your experience. Uh, we haven't even gotten to your, your quick journey in the CFL yet, but you've used QBIQ in the past couple of years. Uh, I know you did with one of your camps last yeah. year. What's that been like for you? What's the system look like for you? How do you utilize it with your guys? So I just, I'm a huge fan and believer of what you guys do first off. Um, and when we use it in camp, it gave my guys something to always go back and, and look at and something that they can reference. Like, so it was kind of proving everything that I was saying correct. And it doesn't matter what offense they were in or what school they were coming from. You can see the route and you can see what you can and cannot do. And I think that was the, the biggest thing um, for my guys was seeing, oh, a post. Oh, I can't throw that with one high safety right there or things like that. I mean, it was can't throw a, a out against cover two. I mean, just little things like that um, that just helped them really realize what I was trying to show them. Um, and again, I mean, this uh, pre-snap process is the most important part of being a quarterback and having an entire book and entire philosophy uh, based on that. Uh, just, it makes a huge difference. Very cool, man. Well, I appreciate the sentiment and I'll pass it on to Chris. Of course <laughs> he appreciates it as well. And so like the terminology is, some schools may use it. Some schools might not use mm -hmm. it. You as a trainer may or may not use it. But does it help at that? It's kind of just a universal foundation of, hey, you guys might not call a slant a two, but mm -hmm. if you say it, you know what it is, right? So exactly. it's, not, it's not like, oh, your offense doesn't use this term or this terminology, so you can't use it, right? It's, it's for all your quarterbacks, right. regardless of what system they're in. Yep. And that's what helped out because, I mean, people were coming from <laughs> all different schools. I mean, from triple option to spread to really anything. And, yeah. you know, at first they were like, well, how is this going to help? And then they opened the book and they're like, wow, well, all of us can relate to what's being said or, or what's being shown in this book. Right. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, how many How many guys are you working with? Um, on a regular, yeah. Uh, I'll say on a regular, probably like sixty-five to seventy. Nice. Um, I mean, this off season might be the biggest that we've ever had, so I'm not sure where that number will go. Um, but I have touched probably over 180 quarterbacks so far in this two years, or this is now year three. Um, 
yeah, we're now into year three, but in two years, probably like 180 quarterbacks. So it's been pretty That's cool. That's awesome. Are, are most of those guys high school age kids from Virginia? Um, a couple. Well, mostly all. Uh, it's just, you know, I work with like Richmond and surrounding counties, but now I'm starting mm-hmm. to pull from, you know, Northern Virginia, from Western Virginia. Um, and now I'm, I'm starting satellite group trainings now in uh, Northern Virginia and in the Tidewater area, which is Virginia Beach area. So that'll be like awesome for, you know, exposure and then getting these guys to quality training that they probably are not getting at that location. So that's awesome. Super cool, man. It's um, for you to be able to, to coach at the high school you're at, you're the OC and quarterbacks coach, and then to train. Um, it sounds like you don't ever have to work. <laughs> you're just loving what you're doing. Yeah. It's really cool, man. It's, it's cool. It's cool to be a part of. And I mean, I'm still young and being able to do this is just keeping me young, to be honest. It's, it's really right. cool. Yeah. So, okay. So let's kind of retract real quick. At, so you're at Central, North Carolina Central. You there four years or five? Five. Five years. And so when did you start? Like, when did you get the starting job? And I know you guys went to at least one bowl game. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, my first start came uh, my redshirt freshman year. Um, so I went up in backup duty. Uh, at our homecoming game, and I completed eight straight passes and capped that drive off with a touchdown. Uh, we had lost that game, but everybody just saw like, hey, we might as well play the young kid. So I was able to uh, start the next week, and that was a total disaster. Uh, hmm. It was my first game starting, and it was also uh, my starting center. That was That was his first game starting. Um, and we, we won the game, but it was still a disaster. Um, but I learned a lot. Uh, I think I played the next game as well. And then the senior came back and actually we played a team on ESPN the week after it was the number one team in the conference at that time. Um, and that was terrible. (laughs) Um, what, uh, what what school was that? It was, uh, Bethune Cookman out of Daytona Beach. Um, yeah, and they sent a double bullets A at me, and literally both linebackers hit me. So, I mean, the ball's up in the air on ESPN. They scoop and score. It was crazy. So um, that was that was something I just wasn't ready for. Um, right. And so they put the senior back in, and then he finished out the year. Uh, and then uh, fast forward to the next year, a uh, new coaching staff came in. And obviously, if you see the film of the year before, you're like, man, we got to get a quarterback, you know. So they went in and got their guys. And, of course, new coaching staffs, bring, they bring their quarterback in. They bring some receivers in. Um, and, you know, he was a great quarterback. Uh, I can't take that from him. He, he was very smart. He made the throws. He took what the defense gave him. And he went in and, and he started for the first three games. Um, and then I – took over that starting job and then the rest is history. So my red shirt sophomore year after three games, I never looked back. So I'm like the winningest quarterback in the history at the school. Dang. All right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, Very pretty cool. cool. Um, so you finished up there. 
And so how did the, how did the CFL come about? Like, how, how did that happen? Did you get an agent or what, what happened there? Yeah. So obviously I, I felt like I had a shot to play or get a, a mini camp invite, right. Uh, to an NFL squad. And so I got an agent, I was training and everything. And, you know, I talked to a lot of, you know, insider people, just me being an HBCU football is, is a couple of executives that, are from, you know, HBCUs and, you know, say, hey, well, we're going to get you in camp. You just got to perform. So me in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, I went to three pro days. So I went and threw at the University of Richmond pro day. I did really good there. Talked to about five teams. Uh, we went to, I went down to Durham and, and performed at the North Carolina Central um, pro day. Uh, talked to a couple scouts there, made a few contacts. So at that point I was thinking, all right, so, I put everything out on the table. I see who was for real and who was not, who I was talking to at the time. And it was just, it was the Redskins and it was the Seahawks. And okay. at that point, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, well, somebody's going to call and I'll be going to either one of those spots. Well, during my whole entire training process, the CFL had already offered me a contract. So they were already, they, uh, Winnipeg had already claimed rights and they were going to take me regardless. But at that time, I'm like, no, you know, I'm going to go and, and take the NFL route, which was, I mean, a lot of people would do that. Sure. Um, and when I didn't get the call, that's when the, that's when the madness started, because now it's like, oh, man, like, am I not going to be able to play? Mm. Uh, is Winnipeg still, because at that point, they feel disrespected, you know, because I guess they felt like I wasn't going to get a call and me playing at a, at a, a small school. And being the size that I was, just didn't, it didn't, you know, match up and it okay. didn't work out. So at that point, um, they actually, they signed me. Uh, it took a little minute, but they went back, they signed me. I was there through uh, training camp and the preseason and things like that. It just didn't work out. Um, you know, I performed well. I talked to the coaches and everything, um, but it was just, being an international player and me being fourth on the depth chart at that time, they needed another player. And it's easy for me to just, you know, get shipped off. So at that point, I just felt, you know, before I left, I said to my to my friends and my coaches that, that I was going to be a trainer whenever football was over. I just didn't know when that point would be. Um, and I was kind of getting things in place when I was gone just to make sure when I got back in that offseason that I was able to start. So I guess God was just telling me, well, now is your time to start. And, and mm -hmm. when I got back home, um, I mean, it didn't take two weeks. Uh, went in and called the coach at Trinity, Coach Mickens, gave me opportunity. Uh, started off as a quarterback coach there in that first year. And, and that just helped me network with all of the high school kids and, and things like that and helped me out a lot. And from there, here I am. Dude, that's awesome. Man, it's like. It's so cool to hear, right? We talk about anybody that I talk to on, on the podcast is we always talk a little bit about their stories and their journeys. And sure, there's some similarities with everybody, obviously football and, and the ups and downs. Mm -hmm. But it's so cool to hear the unique little nuggets from each right. from each person. And the path that you took is your path. Mm -hmm. Nobody else has the same one. They might have a similar one, but nobody else has the exact same exactly. path that you've had. So that's really cool. I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah. let me ask you.
like a devil's advocate side is have you gotten any pushback or any hate from being a high school coach and a trainer training kids that maybe you're playing on Friday nights, anything like that? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it hasn't been out in the open, but of course kids talk. So they, they told me about it. Um, it, it only happens when the coach's philosophy gets compromised in a way. Like when the quarterback coach is telling him to do something and you're at that point, I'm not your coach. Like your football coach is your coach. You need to respect him. You need to listen to exactly what he says because that could be part of his philosophy. That's part of his offense. I just teach universal things so you're ready for anything. Um, but, you know, I always try to tell my quarterbacks and he didn't listen this time, but to just listen, right? And never tell that coach, well, my trainer told me this. And that's that's when coaches get pissed off. And, and they say things that they really don't mean at that time. But, I mean, you're challenging a coach and, and he's a man too. So now you're telling me, and especially if he's an older guy, like, you know, he's been coaching for 30 years. I just got out of playing football. I'm 25. I mean. You don't want some newcomer coming in and saying no, what's up. Yeah. No, not at all. And and I understand that and I respect that. And I would never want anybody to think that I'm out here trying to change what people do. I'm just coaching. I want a better overall product of the quarterback that they have. Um, so, yeah, I played against four of my quarterbacks this year. And they they did pretty well. But, you know, the coaches aren't going to come up to you and say thanks. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, but that's not what I look for. Um, I care about the kids, and that's it. No doubt. That's awesome. Now, on the flip side, has you being able to train, because I talk about this with Chris, and, and he's been training for a long time, is when you're training and you're not coaching, it removes you from the scheme that the coach is is putting on to the kid mm -hmm. and teaching the kid. Now, has the times that you're training and removing yourself from the scheme helped you as a coach now, as a coach within your team, look at it differently or teach it differently? Could you say that? I think I, I lost you. Yeah. Can you hear, can you hear me? Yeah. I, hold on. Real quick. I think I got it. You got to rejoin me. All right. I'm adding you on there now. All right. Got it. I'm back on. Cool. All right. Um, so, yeah. So, like, right, training, you remove yourself from the scheme. You remove yourself from the offensive scheme. Mm -hmm. So you can have totally no bias, right, right. clean slate with, with the player that you're training. Vice versa, has that mindset helped you now on Friday nights or Monday through Thursday as an offensive coordinator when you're talking about ski. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's different ways you can look at it, but it has definitely helped me out. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's helped nice. a lot. Okay, good, good. Because uh, that's I'm always curious about that, like, right, because it's kind of two different mindsets. You're mm -hmm. working on two totally different things. Right. Right, you have, you. you your effort and your concentration when training is, is totally different than a Wednesday, you know, third down period. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Totally, <laughs> totally different mindset. Right. Um, 
So that's always cool to kind of because, like, I talked to Danny O'Brien last week. He was on the podcast. When he's okay. not playing in the CFL, he trains, mm-hmm. right? DOB Elite. He trains in in the North Carolina area. So it's always interesting to me, at least. It's okay. Well, how does your mind shift? Right. Exactly. Um, so that's really cool that it helps you on. Right. Well, on I'm going through it now because you know, just just hopping off of the season and not really training as much, and just you know focusing on the scheme and defensive looks and all of these things and then having to come back and then try to reconstruct my mind on, oh, this is off season now. Like I'm not necessarily game planning. I'm game planning for my clients, but I'm not game planning for a game. So yeah. Right. Right. For sure. All right. Last question I have is do you have time at all to watch football while you're training and coaching? Do you want to go home on Saturday afternoons or Saturday night and go watch college football? Yeah, I do. Um, the biggest thing I know, people always ask me that question, but I like to go back and watch cutups. So I hate watching broadcasted football nowadays. Yes. Um, yeah. I like to watch offensive cutups. I, I mean, I go and I have the NFL, uh, whatever to go or whatever. I watch the the highlights or the the film version of NFL games now. Um, so it's kind of, you know, if you want to sit down and, and have a little function or whatever, it's a Super Bowl or something cool, that's fine. Sure, barbecue, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like that's fine, but um, I don't enjoy it as much. I enjoy right. actually getting down to the nitty-gritty, seeing, oh, he flipped his protection, or, oh, he checked this, or what, what concept did they run on third down and four against man coverage? Like, that's how I want to look at football now. And I don't really get too much enjoyment unless, you know, I mean, it's you got your big games that you don't want to miss live. Like, of course, like LSU sure. Alabama, crazy game. No doubt. You want to watch that. No but everything else, I'd rather just, you know, I might play it with no sound or something just to kind of get a film look or a film feel. But I just have shifted right. my mind a little bit to kind of looking at stuff differently. Like, a lot of people don't like watching football with me because. Like, I'm always thinking, oh, they just ran this concept or they're about to run this. And it's not fun for anybody. They're like, shut up. So you look at it totally differently. <laughs> yeah. Right. You look at it totally differently. I'm similar, man. Like I, I GA'd at, at Delaware. Dude, the last thing I want to do now <laughs> on Saturday night is go home and watch football. When you do that thing for a year, when mm-hmm. that's your job for a year or more, dude, I don't want to look at a football. <laughs> it's crazy. So. But I agree, like, yeah, hang out and, and barbecues and stuff like that for sure. That's all cool. Um, but, yeah, I'm similar. Like, I watch a big game, uh, LSU-Alabama. I was driving that mm-hmm. night, unfortunately, didn't see it. But, for sure, big games like that are always yeah. always fun to watch. So, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields. Uh, who's the other dude? Who's the Oklahoma guy? Uh, Fromm and Hurts. Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, um, yeah. Tua, who you got? Who, who's going yeah. who's, who's to be the dude that pulls away and, and win the Heisman this year? Uh, I think Joe Burrow. I, I really agree with that. Um, and people are going to be like, what? But I literally watched I LSU throw for – it was one drive I, I really paid attention to. They they threw the ball eight times on one drive without running. That is 
one, you never see LSU do it. And two, I never knew you could do that on Alabama's defense. But not only, I mean, it wasn't like RPOs. Like he's going through actual reads and he's making things happen. And doing all of those things, like he's still running a sort of pro-style spread offense. It's not just your basic run and shoot where you're object reading and you're doing things like that. He's going through progression. But, like, he has a 79% completion rating on the year. That is also unheard of. Seven games over 300 yards. I mean, <laughs> no one's, nobody's producing like that in the SEC. Dude, and I used to like I used to say LSU is where quarterbacks go to die. Like that's where that's yeah. the place where quarterbacks would go. And mm-hmm. like, dude, you never know what happened. They like they disappear off the face of the earth. Yeah. And now it's like a total change. And I agree. I agree. I think Burrow is the guy. I mean, uh, and and it's what's so cool about it is all those guys are just named have crazy stories. Yeah, crazy stories. And um, yeah. But, yeah, you just mentioned some of the most important things. I mean, 79% completion percentage in college football, for one, but in the SEC. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, dude, that, <laughs> that's legit. That's legit. Well, dude, I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you jumping on tonight on Instagram Live. For those that watched on the podcast, um, great talking with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's always good to talk to you.